Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We're Forward Radio WFMP Louisville, broadcasting from here in the historic Hayburn Building at 106.5 FM. Or you might be catching our live stream wherever you are in the world at forwardradio.org. That's also the place you can go to become a part of our community radio station. It is radio for the people, by the people, and we'd love to have you be some of the people behind the microphones or behind behind the scenes, helping us sustain this great community resource. And if you can't volunteer your time, hey, we rely on your donations, too, at forwardradio.org. You can donate any time there. And we're also going to be participating in Give for Good Louisville on September 15th, when you can donate and possibly get some of those pledges matched or increased by the Community Foundation of Louisville. So put us on your calendar for the 15th. Well, speaking of nonprofit organizations working in our state, I, I want to welcome to this virtual studio, Ashley Wilms, Executive Director of the Kentucky Resources Council, joining me today. Welcome, Ashley, to the program. Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so great to have Where are you joining us from today? I am joining us from my home office in Lexington, Kentucky. All right. Lexington is in the house today. I love it when we can pop around the state virtually <laughs> and invade your home. Hopefully it's a good day to do that. <laughs> it um, is. For folks who aren't familiar with the Kentucky Resources Council, you can play along at home by going to kyrc.org. Many of you uh, may have been familiar with the longtime director of KRC, uh, Fitz, Tom. Fitzgerald, who was a guest on this program several times and served as director throughout the history of KRC and is now transitioning into a senior staff role. Well, Ashley came on board and was appointed as the director about a year ago in the fall of 2021. So it's great to have you. Welcome. You're not new to Kentucky, though, right? No, I, I grew up in Elizabethtown and I went to Center College uh, for undergrad. I did, you know, I, I feel like I, I've hit lots of different parts of the United States. I like to, to think that I've, I've picked up skills along the way that I, I've brought back to Kentucky. Yeah. But I, I did law school and University of Oregon in their environmental law program and uh, spent a almost a decade in Boulder, Colorado. And, and for a good chunk of that time was in-house counsel for uh, an environmental organization out there. Mm, okay. So for people who aren't familiar, give our audience just a broad understanding of what Kentucky Resources Council is. It's not the most obvious name, right? Uh, and, and what it does, how it works. Yeah. So Kentucky Resources Council is a statewide public interest environmental law and advocacy organization. We provide free legal assistance and representation to those living downhill, downwind, and downstream of environmental problems. So, you know, here in Kentucky, if a facility is polluting your air or water, uh, the council is the place to turn. Uh, we're also working to make sure that government agencies are making decisions that are protective of the environment and of public health and to assist individuals that are impacted by these environmental policies to really have a meaningful voice in, in that decision-making process. Wow. Free legal assistance. That that's, yeah. that's hard to find in these days, right? And can be an expensive operation. How do you do this? What's the size of your staff? Well, and, and Fitz has stayed on as, as of counsel and is helping us, and we have a, another part-time staff attorney. So really, between us, about two attorneys, we've wow. got some support staff. But, you know, we often also, you know, work with other attorneys. We'll refer cases out or mm. like, we might provide brief assistance on a case. And then, you know, we, we maintain a pretty steady and busy docket. 
of environmental cases that, that you know, we do take on behalf of, of citizens. We really feel like by providing that pro bono legal help, we're removing those economic barriers that stand in the way of, of achieving environmental justice. And the goal, right, is not just justice for an individual, right, but it, it's it's a broader perspective of if we can win these cases, right, of environmental justice, it will help define policy and legal set legal precedents, right, that defends people's right to a clean environment throughout the state, right? Absolutely. I mean, many of the cases, you know, we, we had a case where you know, we represented someone who was denied intervention in a particular case. And, you know, by winning that, we set a precedent moving forward for other cases. And so a lot of the the matters that we take on impact more than just that one individual. But, you know, we all live downstream, you know, from someplace. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, that, that I think that the issues that, that we're working on really do impact all Kentucky. Yes. And then there's a role that KRC has always played, too, in, I don't know how you define it, legal guidance, legal lobbying, and with the state legislature, too, right? Talk about that and how KRC interacts with the state legislature as they're making policies. Sure. You know, so what I just talked about really is our environmental and community defense program. And um, we do operate through three programs. And so the second one is our Center for Environmental Policy. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, we provide testimony and lobbying on key energy and environment related bills. Wow. Yeah. And and I always value the the guidance that you all are providing throughout the legislative season. It's really been expert, uh, very valuable information to have for those of us in the public who are trying to understand these fast moving things in the Kentucky legislature. It's not all bad. Like sometimes there are things that the, the legislature is doing that's moving in the right direction and even supporting those with a, a, a legal defense, if you will, is valuable, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, we were in Frankfurt for the 2022 legislative session, I mean, advocating on issues like utility service affordability, you know, making sure that government agents, our regulatory agencies have enough funding, which is so important. You know, some of what we do is opposing things. Uh, We, you know, there was a a bill that was going to weaken controls on odor and wastes from industrial hog operations. And Mm. and we worked really hard to, to get that one uh, to go away. Mm. Um, but we, we get a chance to do some really good things. Um, this year, we were able to help draft and negotiate a bill that amended the definition of orphan wells mm. so that Kentucky can access all available Federal Infrastructure Act funding to plug and reclaim abandoned oil and gas wells in Kentucky. Wow. Yes, that's one of those examples of like a legal minutia that just the how we legally define something like an orphan well will have such a broad impact on people throughout our state and the cleanliness of their groundwater and it really vital things to, to them, right? Absolutely. And so we know millions of Americans across the country live within one mile of an abandoned oil and gas well. Wow. And so these, I mean, they're polluting backyards and public lands, but are also a very significant source, source of methane, you know, which contributes to greenhouse gas, you know, it contributes to climate change. And Kentucky has a lot of these. There was a study from Environmental Defense Fund produced last year that said Kentucky has more than 14,000 of these, these, these known wow. abandoned oil and gas wells, which is about a fifth of the nation's total. That's amazing. Um, so this was this was important, and 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 by you know helping and and you know adjusting this language and making sure that as many as possible get get included under this umbrella, um, it means that we'll have access to at least hopefully the the full. I think it's 104 million that is is part of this bill. But um, the first grant money it was just announced last week, and it's 25 million in federal funds 
to plug and cap these wells, I think about 1,200 to start, which is expected to also create 180 jobs. So right. we're really excited about this. So currently it's legal for a mining company basically to, to drill a well, uh, extract something from it, and then leave it like uncapped? Well, not legal, but okay. these have just been abandoned, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, and we're seeing, you know, even some of the same things, right, with like the coal mines out in eastern Kentucky where, you know, this, you know, uh, these companies are going bankrupt and all of a sudden it's, you know, who's responsible and yeah. they're supposed to be responsible. But, you know, we do have this problem where there are these little, you know, here and there that have been abandoned and need to be plugged. Yeah. Wow. So this is two of your programs. Uh, why don't you round out telling us about the, the rest? Well, so our third program, what we call the Environmental Leadership Institute, yes. um, or Kelly. And we started this about a year ago, and, and it's been really exciting just to bring in, you know, different speakers and create some programming. So, you know, here at the council, we know that change begins with education. And so, you know, the, the purpose of this program is to inspire and inform the many Kentuckians that are ready to make a positive environmental change. And so these are free community workshops that are meant to give citizens tools to better protect the places that they live and love. And they're virtual, too. So folks can join from anywhere, right? They are. And um, we also now have um, we're, we're putting the ones that we've done on our website. I, oh, I believe all three are up right now. This year, we've had gathering data on environmental concerns, so how to use you know, various databases and resources that are out there to get the information you need to advocate on the issues that you care about. Um, we had one on advocating for environmental change, so everything from participating in zoning hearings or planting more native plants, but you know, advocating for, for environmental change in your community. And then we had one on climate change, health and equity and justice with Dr. Natasha Desjarnet of the Environment Institute, yes. so, which was a really great one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love all the experts you bring in. And, and folks shouldn't be intimidated by the title. The Environmental Leadership Institute might be like, oh, can I really participate? Believe me, it is for you. If you care about our environment here in Kentucky, uh, you can always participate in the, the Kelly workshops throughout. And they're every summer, right? So we just wrapped up a summer, but folks can look for it again in 2023. Is that right? And I, I think we're going to start doing them more often. Oh, really? We're going to continue to have them, you know, rolling out for citizens. But we are actually going to also put some together this year for attorneys that might not otherwise oh. do environmental law. So kind of some basics, you know, in, in the hopes that that more attorneys across the state will, will take on these cases, you know, either for free or what we sometimes call a low bono rate. So, you know, <laughs> just really, you know, utilizing maybe other, in, you know, legal skills that they can put in place to, you know, to help citizens on, on environmental issues. Well, that's a super interesting point I hadn't even thought about. You know, when I was thinking of these frontline communities that are in peril, I was just thinking of, well, they probably don't have the money to hire a lawyer, but actually maybe they do and they just can't find a good environmental lawyer with environmental experience. Is that is that a problem in our state? It is. And I, I think it can be such a technical area of expertise right. that some attorneys feel like they almost need to specialize in it. And and so we're just we're some of these these workshops we're going to put together over the next year partly will be to address, you know, here are some cases that you can take and, and how to bring these and how to do an administrative hearing in front of the, you know, the Office of Administrative Hearings. Yeah. 
And of course, you have experience doing this right before joining KRC. You practiced environmental law as a solo practitioner, right? Uh, so to tell us about what that looked like for you. What kind of cases were you working on? Well, and this also goes to show, you know, in Kentucky, sometimes you have to do a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. and so I worked for, in the last couple of years before uh, joining the council, you know, worked, uh, helped Kentucky Waterways Alliance, you know, occasionally on looking at a water pollution permit mm. or helped Kentucky Heartwood on, you know, Freedom of Information Act request. But, you know, you often do have to have a portfolio to, to do this kind of work. I also did some criminal law. I did some appellate briefs at the, the Sixth Circuit, um, you know, just really, you know, some to, to, to pay back some law school loans and right. some really to do the work that I love and that I care about. Yeah. And, and tell us about being in-house counsel for the environmental advocacy organization Wild Earth Guardians. Who are they? Ah. Well, Wild Earth Guardians, they are now, um, they've grown quite a bit and are, are really throughout the West. And, and their emphasis is on protecting public lands, okay. you know, wild and scenic rivers. Um, and I, I did a lot in terms of protecting endangered species. Excellent. Under the Endangered Species Act. Yeah, that, no, that's, a, that's great work. Thank you for doing that. Um, so much public land out West. It's, it's a different scene than we have here in Kentucky, but really vital uh, exactly. resource. Exactly. And a lot of... Um, um, you know, oil and gas or leases of coal, oil and gas out west. So we often also challenge those leases, you know, trying to stop extraction of fossil fuels from our public lands. Yep, that's keep the, it in the ground, Justin. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very good. My guest today here on Sustainability Now is Ashley Wilms, the newish one year in uh, executive director of the Kentucky Resources Council. I love this group so much, and I was so excited to hear about uh, Ashley joining. And I've been trying to get her on the show for a long time now. We're so glad that she's joining us today virtually from her home in Lexington. Uh, one of the things you've been sort of thrown right into is is the development of KRC's new strategic plan, right? Uh, I know it's not finished yet, but tell us about this process. You know, it's been really great to talk to, you know, we have a really strong board right now and, and our members and, and think about the areas of a focus. But um, one of the biggest pieces is involving this new program that we are about to launch, uh, that we are calling Good Trouble in honor of the late John Lewis. Yay. And, um, so we are about to grow, we're about to hire some new staff, and, and we're really excited. So as we have done for the last 40 years, you know, the Kentucky Resources Council will continue to provide this, you know, free legal assistance representation for those who can't afford it on energy and environmental matters. But, you know, the realities of climate change are upon us, and we see these burdens of environmental injustice grow. And so we realize we have to do more to expand our work and reduce the pollution that's emitted into our air and our water and our soil that is impacting our health and our communities. Mm. So we have been thinking a lot about public engagement in the decision-making process. We are launching a new three-year project, like I said, that we are calling Good Trouble. So every year, federal and state agencies issue thousands of permits in Kentucky that allow pollution to be discharged into our land, our air, and our water. But really only a handful of these permits is ever reviewed by the public to make sure they're protective of human health and the environment. Hmm. And we have tools that allow this. And so laws like the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, they provide significant opportunities for the public to comment on these permits and make them stronger. 
but what we've seen, especially in Kentucky, is that you know citizen oversight has really been hamstrung for decades by you know a lack of capacity and financial resources, you know, which we already talked about, and insufficient access to you know technical experts, you know, to weigh in on some of these issues, but also a lack of training and re, you know like training resources for citizens and community groups that might want to engage on a particular permit, but you know you start to read these and permits and kind of become overwhelmed. I mean, that happens to me when sometimes I, I see a Title V permit under the Clean Air Act and I'm, you know, you're reading this technical jargon. And so we have really been thinking about how do we reform the permitting process and regulatory landscape in Kentucky, move the goalposts from just licensing environmental degradation <laughs> towards the congressional goal, really, that was in, you know, laws like the Clean Water Act of ending pollution. Wow. These are basically untapped mechanisms for public input, it sounds like. Um, Is that because we don't have a formal process in Kentucky or we do and the public just doesn't know? Well, I was going to say I wouldn't call I would call them underutilized. Okay. (laughs) You know, and there are groups and certainly citizen groups. I mean, React and Louisville just called me the other day and and they're aware of the permit and and how to comment on it. They've asked us to to weigh in on a particular legal piece of it. Um, But I think across the board that not enough citizens and community groups are aware of when these permits are issued and how they can comment on them. Um, And then even if they are, really having some tools to better understand and not just say, hey, this, you know, I don't want this pollution in my waterway, but really looking at how can, what standards could be applied here? What testing could be applied here? Right. And so, you know, we are wanting to, we're really planning to build, well, taking a step back, you know, our goal is to develop and train a coordinated network of volunteers in permit review, you know, mm. backed by legal and technical experts. So we are reaching out to our networks of both, um, you know, environmental attorneys, but also, you know, engineers and, you know, experts on certain water quality or water quantity issues. And, you know, having our network review these permits with a focus on, you know, pollution prevention, climate change, public health, and environmental justice. But, you know, the key thing is, I think, for us to be on call to support community engagement, you know, assist in maybe some systematic reviews of permits to see how we can make Kentucky's regulatory programs stronger, and when needed and appropriate, you know, maybe bringing administrative and and legal challenges. Hmm. But all of this, you know, less pollution, more accountability, and a healthier Kentucky. Right. And citizen involvement is always been key to that. And citizens can be overwhelmed by the red tape or the, the legalese. I know having tried to comment on some of these permit applications that even I often feel like stumped by all the language and, and how to best do it. So this program sounds fantastic to me in doing it in the spirit of the, getting into good trouble. Like that's a wonderful way to frame it. <laughs> yeah. So you'll be announcing this soon and it sounds like you're going to start recruiting a cadre of volunteers. Uh, so if, if folks want to keep their finger on this pulse and maybe volunteer, is there a place they can sign up or what should they do? Yes, we'll have more information on our website this fall with very specific information on how to attend some training courses, yeah. ways to engage. Um, you know, In the meantime, you're always welcome to, to reach out to us at 
info at kyrc.org. There you go. And I will certainly, if I hear about any of those trainings, I'll let you know about them on our community action calendar here on the show. So stay tuned. Uh, that sounds like a great way for people to get involved in good trouble. You know, when we think about good trouble, we're also thinking about like uh, civil disobedience and uh, so in, uh, protesting in the streets. And that is an important piece of good trouble. But then there's, then there's things that often go unnoticed because they seem so mundane, but so vital is like, public involvement in something like permitting. Uh, so you mentioned REACT, Rubbertown Emergency Action. C- can you tell us, give us a little concrete example about what they were looking for help with? Well, in fact, I'm glad you asked this question because I think one of the great things about this Good Trouble initiative is that we're hoping to work with other community yeah. groups and really kind of build some coalitions. And I, you know, I recently had coffee with Shivani Carthens, who is a law professor at the University of Louisville. And she actually has a project called the Public Health Literacy Group. That's a coalition of academic scholars, community leaders, and activists focused on making the science of public health more accessible. And so one of the permits we were looking at, also the, the coalition that this public health literacy group had uh, has taken and really looked at some of the acronyms, um, you know, scientific jargon and, and tried to make it more understandable. And so they're working with some, some community groups on a couple of permits. And then, like I said, then there's been some legal and technical questions that, that we're hoping to assist on. So I think that the more that we all work together on some of these issues, um, the stronger that we, we are and will be. Absolutely. And then another way that people get involved in, in helping out is as interns. And you've hosted several summer interns. You want to tell us about some of the litigation and advocacy work they've been involved in? Well, Kentucky Resources Council, we, we've always worked very closely with the Brandeis School. And so, you know, this has been, you know, an adjunct for, for many years and it has, you know, really profoundly, I think, you know, changed the focus and, you know, impact of, you know, the one environmental class that sometimes changes the perspective of what a student might want to do. Right. And so we are really proud that, you know, we've, we've been able to, you know, engage with so many students and interns over the years. And that is something we're planning to build upon as part of Good Trouble. But um, I do have one intern, I think, starting uh, next week. He's going to be looking at some zoning issues. You know, the whole world of zoning, of land use and planning, you know, citizens have a right to participate in those processes as well. But it, it can be really confusing, especially since county by county things change. Right. So, you know, looking at some of those issues, again, how to get involved, um, you know, putting together some some primers and handouts that will be available on our website uh, you know, at the end of the semester. So, wow. We're always, That's we're always grateful for good legal interns. Yes. And that seems well-timed with the current Louisville land development code reform process that's going on. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is, this is an important piece of public engagement, I guess, citizen engagement and shaping, literally shaping the landscape around them through, through in, in, input on zoning. That, that's, that'll be wonderful. That intern is of great value, <laughs> for sure. Um, I'm speaking today with Ashley Wilms, Executive Director of the Kentucky Resources Council. You can learn more about them at kyrc.org. She just came on board after quite a 
legacy of Tom Fitzgerald running the organization for many decades. Uh, and she started back in the fall of 2021. But uh, Fitz is going to be sticking around a little bit, right? Tell us about his new role. Right. And um, and let me start by saying, you know, Fitz has really put his heart and soul into this important work, you know, building this legacy of environmental protection. And I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to build on it. Yeah. And, you know, Fitz has been thinking about retirement for some time. <laughs> I think retirement for Fitz may be a little more, um, you know, full, full retirement farther away. But, um, you know, he... He has got grandchildren he's planning to spend more time with and you know, his wife. And so, but we we can't let him go that quickly. So he is sticking around as of counsel. Um, what that means for me is that I have him on speed dial. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, but, you know, really, um, you know, engaging him on, on some strategy. I mean, he's continuing um, to, to, to help us uh, yeah. on legal and environmental issues and, will be present again in Frankfurt. Um, although I, I think the shoes are going to uh, a museum. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a great character and so much institutional knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine him ever sitting still. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's going to be doing it probably till he can't anymore, uh, for sure. Um, well, I also note that you are chair of the environmental law section of the Kentucky Bar Association. For those of us who aren't in the legal fields, tell us about the Kentucky Bar Association and, and what the environmental law section does. Well, the environmental law section is a, a, a part of the, you know, the KBA of attorneys, basically, you know, the attorneys that are focused on environmental and, and energy issues. Although I will say I actually just recently stepped down. Um, I, I spent three years and, and then I just rotated off and, and passed the reins on. And but, you know, we do uh, continuing legal education uh, every year, put on um, a, a two day CLE focused on environmental matters. Nice. And um, one of the highlights is always bringing representatives from every part of the energy and environment cabinet and getting kind of a, an update of what's happened in the past year, what the cabinet is looking towards. Well, that's awesome. Uh, thank you for that work, too. So one of the things that KRC is getting involved in is integrated resource planning for our utilities, which what that means is they're long range planning for how they're going to power our state. Right. And there is public input. I did. Who wouldn't even know. Right. We, we can have public input on this issue. Tell us about it. Right. So the PSC requires electric utilities to submit one of these plans. Uh, we call them integrated resource plans or IRPs every three years. And this is really a roadmap for how the utility intends to meet its energy needs at, at reasonable rates. The PSC evaluates the utility's plan and makes recommendations. But you're right, as part of this process, not only like stakeholder groups and you know groups like us, but also the public can weigh in on assumptions, they can ask questions um, and suggest different planning scenarios. So right now we represent Mountain Association, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, nice. Metropolitan Housing Coalition, and the Kentucky Solar Energy Society, uh, who are all joint interveners in one of these IRP cases for Louisville Gas and Electric and Kentucky Utilities. So we are participating in this process on, on behalf, you know, we're representing the joint interveners, you know, really with the goals of increasing the use of renewable resources, you know, use of renewables and energy efficiency 
to make energy more affordable, but also more, more sustainable, reducing greenhouse gas emissions from Kentucky's power plants, you know, and encouraging the integration of more renewable energy into the planning process. So, you know, it, this is a roadmap. It, it's not necessarily binding, but it tells us a lot about what the utilities are thinking. And it gives us an opportunity as the public to really engage and weigh in on, you know, what the roadmap should look like. Yeah, that is that is so important because the original roadmap uh, that they're trying to get approved commits to burning coal right? many, many decades out uh, when all of the science is screaming, we have to stop doing this and we have to make plans to transition swiftly from fossil fuels to renewables. In a sense, it's not a legal matter, but but there's a legal process for our public utilities and, and what they're allowed to do and how they can make these plans. So this is a, a really important role. Uh, and one thing I learned recently is that the federal government was able to recently reclassify carbon dioxide as a pollutant, uh, right? And, and that can really change in the legal framework how we work on climate change, because before it's well, it's natural, you know, all kinds of things emit CO2 and, and bogs and things like that. But uh, now now if we think of it as a pollutant that needs to be regulated, well, then we can maybe get a handle on climate change. I mean, that's the hope, right? <laughs> what but what EPA is going to be allowed to do, I, I do think is going to be hampered by the We've seen it hampered by the Supreme Court. And, and, and I think that um, given the, the state of this court, that that's going to continue to be the case. And yeah. so um, that, you know, unfortunately, um, the, the, there's there's many obstacles there. <laughs> yeah. Well, since you brought up the U.S. Supreme Court, it made me think of this other question I, I had, which is, you know, there's many different levels of court, right? And so I wonder what level KRC tends to work in when you're doing this environmental legal aid. Are you working at like the district court level? Or are you working at the Kentucky Supreme Court? Or is it all of them? It's all of them. Mm. And so, you know, often a case starts in the Office of Administrative Hearings. You know, we end up in the Supreme Court and then sometimes back again or, or all the way back up. Um, <laughs> you know, we're still representing uh, Bernheim in, in their efforts to prevent the LG&E pipeline from going, you know, straight through part of their property. And, and that's a good one. That's an example of, of, you know, we've been to the Court of Appeals, the Kentucky Supreme Court, and now we're, we're back in the District Court. And a, a lot of complicated issues involving, you know, the condemnation process and permitting and a lot of different fronts. Right. I, I was I'm glad you brought that up because I've been wondering where where does this stand? I mean, it was in the news like long, long time ago now. And it's, it's funny how long and drawn out these legal processes can be where the public just kind of loses steam on it. Uh, and thank God there's organizations like KRC there to, to keep us abreast of what's going on. I, I guess that fight is still continuing, it sounds like. It is continuing. And so we're actually going to, to court on that, some of those issues on Monday and trying to see where the next steps will be. Wow. Well, you brought up uh, how the federal climate and infrastructure bills could impact Kentucky. Uh, is, is there anything else you want to share about that, about what, what's on the horizon with, with that, uh, other than these capping of abandoned oil and gas wells? Are there other things that we should be on the lookout for that could really help this state? President Biden signed the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. You know, he really put 
into motion one of the largest investments in coal communities, you know, in a decade. Yeah. And so, you know, it's cleaning up, you know, some of these oil and gas wealth, like we talked about, but also, you know, putting money into cleaning up abandoned mine lands oh, and, yeah. and polluted waters that have plagued our communities for decades. And so, you know, really this bill received the backing of Democrats and Republicans because of how clear the benefits are that you're going to reclaim and restore, you know, dangerous abandoned mine lands that threaten our safety and, you know, undermine our economy, but also create thousands of jobs while doing it. And so I think, you know, when we think about these investments that give us a chance to turn our challenges into the foundation for new economic growth. And, and that's that's a piece that's really exciting. Um, the Appalachian, our partner, the Appalachian Citizen Law Center in Eastern Kentucky, has been really engaged on some of these issues. You know, working with coal communities, looking at some of, of you know, how some of this stuff gets put in practice. But, you know, right now we have coal communities across the country with these abandoned mines that have left behind not only like hazards. But also, you know, well, and, you know, as we are talking about Eastern Kentucky, you know, thinking about the flooding and the mudslides yeah. and how things might have been different if there was not the, the foundation that had been laid with respect to mining. That's but, fantastic. You know, so we know that they're, they're not just ugly, they're deadly. I mean, nobody wants to open up a business or, you know, move to a neighborhood next to a polluted river. Yeah. And so I think investing to clean these sites up you know, removing these risks to our community really lays a pathway towards a better future. And so, you know, these critical infrastructure projects are going to put people to work repairing land and waterways that are damaged by mining, treating polluted waters, you know, sealing and filling these abandoned mine entries, but also, you know, uh, developing erosion prevention measures mm. and, um, you know, other benefits. So I think these jobs are really a perfect match that have worked in the coal industry. And it's, you know, work that's going to require roofers and landscapers and truck drivers. And, you know, once these lands are restored, then we can think about how do we transform them, you know, into economic hubs or recreational centers. But, you know, thinking about these types of attractions also that, that, continue to create jobs and, you know, protect the places that, that we live in that we love. Yeah. You know, that, that's a really interesting example with the mountaintop removal and all the mining in Appalachia that just amplified the flooding that was also a result of climate change. So, I mean, we, we often talk about things like a flood as a natural disaster, and we kind of have to change our language because it's not so natural anymore. In the sense, these are unnatural disasters that we have amplified. And of course, when you talk about something like climate change, it's so everybody's contributing to the problem, right? That it's it's hard to keep anyone legally accountable. But there can be instances where a flood is exacerbated by a mining operation where it makes sense in my mind, at least, to think about a legal response to that. But these are these are tricky, complicated things. It's not easy to tease well, out, is it? <laughs> Well, and our Kentucky Resources Council, our board chair, Joe Childers, actually just did a, a great op-ed that, that you might want to link to, you know, talking about how in Eastern Kentucky, people can't live on high ground yeah. because it's owned by corporate interests. And all of these things, you know, that really contributed to this overwhelming tragedy. Yeah. But certainly we want to, you know, we know Appalachian Citizen Law Center, Apple Red, you know, these groups also found themselves underwater. And I, I think what's been amazing about them also is that they've just, in spite of their own trying to clean up their office spaces, they immediately went to work in terms of how can we help other people? How can we 
you know, help our community members. And so I just wanted to a shout out to, to our partner groups and um, there's some uh, other resources I, I could, or maybe there's some links we could add yeah. to this podcast. No, absolutely. Folks can go to forwardradio.org and find the podcast version of this program and we'll have links right there uh, to Joe Childers' piece and some other resources for, I mean, th- this is sort of one of the, I don't know if you want to call it silver linings or whatever of these many unnatural disasters we keep seeing in our state is it really has shown us how much people in Kentucky care about each other and are, are willing to come together and support each other to dig out of these crises. And I guess it, it does demonstrate some of our resilience in, in the face of climate change. But yeah, it's an important story for, for us to keep our fingers on the pulse of. We're, we're nearing uh, the end of our time together. And uh, one thing I've been meaning to ask you about, you've mentioned many wonderful local partners and, and statewide partners that KRC works with and represents. I'm wondering about things like the national level, like you hear about the Environmental Defense Fund and things like that. Does KRC work with any partners at the national level? We do. We're part of monthly calls with other more nationally focused organizations. Earth Justice uh, is actually helping us on um, some of these IRP cases. And so, you know, we we love our partners at at Earth Justice and and their attorneys that have really are investing, you know, time and resources into Kentucky and into supporting the joint interveners and our clients. I spoke to an attorney at the Environmental Integrity Project last week about a water quality issue that they were looking at one thing and came across some data about Kentucky that caused some concern and they reached out to see if, hey, we we could find a solution to something together. So I I think also Good Trouble really gives an opportunity for us to reach out to more groups and and on a national level, right? And say, hey, do you know, how can we in Kentucky improve this type of water quality permit? You know, looking to maybe what Colorado has done or a different state and try to bring some of that knowledge and expertise here. So we're looking forward to, to more of those connections. Yeah, I think that's so valuable learning from, I mean, these are the same regulations when we're talking about federal rules, right? And yes. certainly other communities have learned some important lessons that, that we could learn from and vice versa. Once we make some progress on these things, we could share it out with other states and with our many neighboring states here in Kentucky, right? That seems like a wonderful direction for KRC's work to evolve in. That That's awesome. Well, this we're is- really this has been so great. I'm I'm sad that we're out of time. Ashley Wilms is executive director of the Kentucky Resources Council. We here at Forward Radio want to give her a big hearty welcome and encourage her in a, the really important work that KRC does, being a legal representation for the environment and for those impacted by environmental crises around our state. Th- thank you so much for this good work and good trouble that you do, Ashley. <laughs> Well, thank you, Justin, for having me and and for sharing the information about our work and, and other sustainability initiatives across the state. Excellent. Well, we'll keep you all informed as things evolve and these new possibilities to get engaged emerge. We'll let you know about them here on Forward Radio. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I've got your community action calendar. A whole bunch of ideas about how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned. Time in August feels like we're gonna melt away and I've been working all the time and I need some holiday 
And we are back here on Sustainability Now with a full calendar of events for you to get engaged in this week. Tuesday, August 30th is a huge day for sustainability in Louisville. This happens sometimes. We have these moments in our town where you can just spend the whole day getting engaged in sustainability. So cancel your plans. Get ready for action this Tuesday. First, starting off, it's Women's Equality Day at UofL on Tuesday, August 30th. We are going to get nowhere in sustainability without letting women take the lead and celebrating women's heritage and learning from women and making life for women everywhere more equal and equitable. So, Women's Equality Day, Tuesday, August 30th, will be celebrated at the University of Louisville. August 26th is the anniversary of women winning the vote, and we'll be celebrating on Tuesday the 30th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the University of Louisville's Red Barn, right outside the Student Activity Center. Are you ready to celebrate? Join the U of L Women's Center in the celebration. Women's Equality Day is celebrated in the U.S. on August 26, in recognition of women winning the right to vote. In addition, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 will be celebrated. There will be voter registration, informational booths, a speaker, and refreshments in the University of Louisville's Red Barn. Come out and learn more about Women's Equality Day. More information at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Then, right at noon, after that 11 a.m. event, it's Let's Wrap examining the reproductive pipeline to public health injustice on Tuesday, August 30th, noon to 2 p.m. online, the University of Louisville School of Public Health and Information Sciences Office of Culture and Liberation has teamed up with UofL's Women's Center to engage you in a critical conversation about reproductive justice. Topics include race, gender, poverty, and criminal legal aspects of human reproduction and public health. Participants will also discuss Kentucky Constitutional Amendment 2, and they include the ACLU of Kentucky, the Kentucky Health Justice Network, a state legislator, a public health professor and a person serving as an activist, mental health therapist, and minister within the Louisville community. All these great speakers on this panel about examining the reproductive pipeline for public health injustice on Tuesday the 30th from noon to 2 p.m. It's online. You can find the link to register for it at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also on Tuesday the 30th, right after that at 3.30 p.m., Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light invites you to become a green leader. Kipple's green leaders are meeting monthly online on the last Tuesdays of the month for one hour, 3.30. On even months like this, there's a brief presentation and discussion. And then on odd months, like in September, participants learn from each other in discussion. Well, the next green leaders meeting held on Tuesday, uh, August 30th at 3.30 p.m. will be an opportunity to learn more about the Kentucky EPAD program for financing renewable energy and energy energy efficiency projects for your nonprofit or commercial building. Sign up for the Green Leaders list to receive the link and you can at kentuckyipl.org under get involved. 
All right. Now, on Tuesday at 4 p.m., virtually, the University of Louisville's Sustainability Roundtable will feature Laura Grabowski on housing and community development. You can join the UofL Sustainability Council for our fall Sustainability Roundtable series every other Tuesday from 4 to 4.50 p.m. Starting this week, we kick off the fall series on August 30th with our special guest, Laura Grabowski, the director of the Office of Housing and Community development at Louisville Metro Government. Laura's office is responsible for increasing the quantity and improving the quality of affordable housing choices, as well as addressing vacant and abandoned properties. Laura holds a bachelor's degree in political science from Indiana University Southeast and a master's degree in urban affairs and public policy from the University of Delaware. No pre-registration is ever required for UofL's sustainability roundtables. You can just find the link to join at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Now, also on Tuesday at 5.30, Louisville Grows needs volunteers to help with tree canvassing in the Smoketown neighborhood. You can join Louisville Grows as we canvass the Smoketown neighborhood door-to-door looking for future tree recipients. Canvassing is a great way to get to know your community and speak for the trees. Volunteers will be trained and paired up with their expert canvassers to connect with neighbors in order to find homes for trees that will be planted with volunteer help this coming fall. So the meetup location for the Smoketown neighborhood tree canvassing is at Ballard Park. That's 525 East Caldwell Street. And they need help on Tuesday from 530 to 730. Then again on Thursday the 1st from 530 to 730. On Saturday the 3rd from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then on Sunday the 4th from 1 to 4 p.m. You can learn more and find the link to sign up for any of these canvassing opportunities at louisvillegrows.org. Now, we're still on Tuesday, August 30th at 6 p.m. It's the next in the planning for middle housing workshops. Louisville's affordable housing crisis and urban sprawl are, of course, being fueled by the so-called missing middle in our local housing stock, which is overrepresented by detached single-family homes and mid-rise apartments with little in between. Well, Louisville Metro Planning and Design Services would like to build a middle housing neighborhood with you. At this workshop, participants will work together in small groups to build a middle housing neighborhood using Lego bricks. The bricks will represent different types of housing, including detached homes, duplexes, and cottage courts. A park, bus stop, and neighborhood services are also included to help build out your neighborhood. They invite you to build at these upcoming workshops on Tuesday, August 30th at 6 p.m. It'll be in Crescent Hill Library in the community room at 2762 Frankfurt Avenue. On Wednesday, September 7th at 6 p.m., they'll be in the Newburgh Library and on Tuesday, the 13th of September at 6 p.m. in Iroquois Library. These workshops are being offered as part of the ongoing Land Development Code reform. For more information and to view a map of events and meetings, go to louisvilleky.gov slash LDC reform for the Land Development Code reform. That's louisvilleky.gov slash LDC reform. 
Then, you're going to make some choices. You can't do it all on Tuesday, August 30th, because at 6.30, it's your voice, your vote, a civic engagement toolkit at the main public library right across from us here at 301 York Street. Voting is one way to voice your opinions, but there is more to being engaged in your community than simply showing up at the polls. To understand contemporary issues and enact positive change in the places we live, we need a range of tools and the knowledge of how to use them. Well, Dee Pregliasco, Vice President of the League of Women Voters of Kentucky, will lead this six-week course with expert guests. Together, they will cover topics from education to criminal justice to health and the environment. Come fill your civic engagement toolkit and learn how to be an agent of change in your community. This program is presented by My Library U and is free and open to the public, but registration is requested and you can learn more and register at lfpl.org. Then on Tuesday evening, if you still got energy left, yes, you can do this too. August 30th at 8 p.m., District 8 Councilmember Cassie Chambers Armstrong. August Community Conversation will be virtual and the focus will be local government and climate change. This is going to be on Facebook Live on Tuesday at 8 p.m. All are invited for a community conversation about the role of local government in climate change policy. What can cities do to address the existential threats? of climate change. What is Louisville doing? And what do the experts say we need to be thinking about? This will be a panel discussion streamed live via Facebook at facebook.com slash council member Cassie Chambers Armstrong. That's C-A-S-S-I-E Chambers Armstrong. Uh, If you got questions in advance, you can email them to cassie.armstrong at louisvilleky.gov. But just tune in 8 p.m. on Tuesday at facebook.com slash council member Cassie Chambers Armstrong. And lastly, can't do it all, but also on Tuesday, August 30th at 8 p.m., it's a free bicycle maintenance class at your cooperatively owned Community Bike Works, Falls City Community Bike Works, 1217 Logan Street. What's the most important part of owning and riding a bike? Well, it's having fun. What's the second most important? Well, it's learning to maintain it yourself. Join Falls City's pro volunteer Seamus on Tuesday nights to learn some critical basics of keeping your bike riding smoothly. These classes will be repeated every three weeks all summer long. Uh, week one's a how to fix a flat tire. Week two's shifting and brake adjustment. And week three is the classic pre-ride check. So come on out to the shop Tuesdays at 8. Classes are offered for free, but donations are always accepted if you're able. And they can be made online at fccbikeworks.org or in person with cash. And that is Tuesday, 8 to 9 p.m. at Falls City Community Bike Works, 1217 Logan Street. And then they invite you back the following day on Wednesday, August 31st for open shop hours every Wednesday, 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. at Falls City Community Bike Bike Works on Logan Logan Street. Uh, and they're also open every Wednesday, I'm sorry, every Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. At, at FCCB's Open Shop, you'll have access to bike repair advice and instruction from experienced mechanics. You'll be able to ex- ac- get access to bicycle-specific tools and supplies. There's a great selection of used and new bike parts and supplies, and it's an open and welcoming community to share skills, knowledge, and experiences with bike enthusiasts from diverse backgrounds. Donations are always welcome, even though Open Shop services are always free. In response to a funding opportunity for 
from Louisville Metro. They're able to offer these services now free to all community members. Previous dues paid and sweat equity annual membership models are no longer active. So now's a great time to get involved in Falls City Community Bike Works, FCCB.org. All right, we're finally on to Wednesday, August 31st. There will be at UofL a film screening and keynote lecture in honor of the International Day for People of African Descent. It's at 5.30 in UofL's Student Activity Center Ballroom on Wednesday. UofL invites you to this free film screening and keynote discussion with Rena Evers, daughter of Med. Edgar and Merle Evers. This will be the first in a UL series of events leading up to Juneteenth 2023, highlighting the journey to freedom for African-American descendants of enslaved persons. August 31st is the International Day for People of African Descent. Members of the UL and local community have an opportunity to view the film The Evers and participate in a campus conversation with Rena Evers Everett, daughter of civil rights activists Medgar and Burley Evers Williams. As a young girl, Evers Everett moved from the bayou to Jackson, Mississippi, as her father's work expanded in the fight for equality. Then at age eight, she witnessed her father's assassination in front of their family home. Picking up the pieces of their life, her mother relocated the family to California. She went on to graduate from New York's Fashion Institute of Technology with a degree in business merchandising. Following a successful career in communications for domestic and international businesses, she returned to Mississippi in 2012 to continue her father's labor and legacy at the Medgar and Myrtle Evers Institute. As the executive director, she has lectured on subjects of youth awareness and involvement, consulted with organizations on training youth advocates, and coordinated with U.S. Department of Interior on establishing the Medgar and Merle Evers House as a national monument. Inspired by her father's courageous leadership and integrity, she works to advance the mission of cultivating positive social change, intergenerational civic engagement, social and economic justice, and research on equity and social justice. And she'll be speaking after a documentary film screening on Wednesday from 5.30 to 7.30 in UofL's Student Activity Center Ballroom. It is open to the public. More information at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Now, also coming up Wednesday the 31st at 7 p.m. online, it's Kentuckians for the Commonwealth's Political Education Series, Abolition 101, Session 3. KFTC's Political Education Series is back. Amidst the uprising against police brutality in 2020, Kentuckians joined the march for Black Lodge from Paducah to Pikeville. Abolitionist perspectives that center on mutual aid, a caring economy, and community community safety resurfaced widely. KFTC members expressed a desire to learn more. So in early 21, KFTC launched a political education curriculum based on these perspectives. Together, we envision and create a path towards a Kentucky where all of us thrive. Session three, living through incarceration in Kentucky, will focus on the firsthand stories of Kentuckians who have survived incarceration. KFTC's political education series will continue throughout the year. Whether you're already on the path to abolition or just beginning your journey, we encourage everyone to join. We'll learn from one another and stretch each other's imaginations. Find the link to register at facebook.com slash Kentuckians for the 
Commonwealth, all spelled out, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, on August 31st, 7 to 8.30 p.m. online. Also on Wednesday, the 31st, the Louisville Sustainability Council invites you to a benefit night with the Louisville Bats. The first pitch is at 7.05 p.m. at Slugger Field on Main Street. You can join the Louisville Sustainability Council team for a night of fun as we celebrate being recognized as a community hero. Board Chair Ellen Trahan will throw the first pitch versus the Indianapolis Indians. You won't want to miss it. Tickets are $8 each with $3 going back to the Louisville Sustainability Council's work in the community. You can find the link to purchase benefit tickets at facebook.com slash Louisville Sustainability Council. On Thursday, September 1st, from 10 to 2, it's UofL Day at the Gray Street Farmer's Market. A fun way to kick off the fall semester. Uh, we'll be hosting UofL Day at the Farmer's Market on September 1st. All UofL students, faculty, and staff who bring their ID to the information booth can pick up complimentary $5 tokens to redeem at any market vendor. Everyone can enter the free raffle for great door prizes and all are encouraged to show your UofL spirit by wearing red or your favorite cards gear. Attendees can listen to music, purchase local products, enjoy samples, and grab lunch. It is the second to last Gray Street Farmer's Market, which is now monthly. Rain or shine on first Thursdays, 10 to 2 p.m., at 400 East Gray Street between Preston and Jackson. The last one will be October 6th, but we encourage you to come on out September 1st, and more information is at louisville.edu slash sustainability. And then coming up on Monday, Labor Day, September 5th, of course, it's the Mayor's Hike, Bike, and Paddle. Activities start at 8 a.m. at the Community Boathouse in Waterfront Park, 1325 River Road. Louisville cyclists, paddlers, and walkers will be on the move again as the Mayor's Hike, Bike, and Paddle returns for another Labor Day to the Louisville Community Boathouse. T-shirts will be available for the first 3,000 participants while supplies last. The Brain Injury Association of Kentucky will also be fitting 500 bike helmets for cyclists who don't have one. For hikers, this year features four different route options. For cyclists, the year features the longest bike course yet of 18.2 miles. Cyclists will travel down River Road nine miles all the way to the entrance off Hayes Kennedy Park and back to the Community Boathouse. The paddling course will begin shortly after the hikers and bikers take off, and the route features five miles of scenic paddling along the Ohio River through the McAlpin Locks to the Shawnee Boat Ramp by noon. Tark will offer a free shuttle for the return trip to the boathouse. Starting at 8 a.m., the event will showcase demonstrations and group participation in yoga, tai chi, and zumba. And lastly, if you don't know, I want to let you know that the city will be breaking ground on two historic library renovations and expansion projects. The Louisville Free Public Library and Mayor Greg Fisher will join the public and other community leaders to officially break ground at the Portland Library on Tuesday, September 6th at 10 a.m. and at the Parkland Library on September 27th at 10 a.m. The Portland project will include a renovation of the original 6,000 square foot historic Carnegie built library and a 4,500 square foot addition. The Parkland Library at 2743 Virginia Avenue will be a renovation and expansion project to restore library services to the historic Carnegie built facility that was closed 
as the library in the late 80s hit a budget crisis. Both projects are expected to be completed in late 2023, and it is so exciting to see this expansion of library services and renovation of historic buildings right in the place where it's needed most. And you can learn more at lfpl.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Para lembrar